Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and praise you. We thank you. We love you. I pray that your will be done this morning. Father, as we have worshipped you, your Holy Spirit has already been invited to this place and has already been in this place. Father, I give over my will. I give over my voice. I give over any plans that I may have to you. That your Holy Spirit work through my voice to do your will. Father, it is not my desire that I am anywhere in this at all, but only you. I love you. We worship you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. I thank you that he is my savior. I thank you, Lord, that he is the Messiah. Whether whether the world receives it or not, it does not change who he is. And the world will know who he is because he will reign his love and his justice cannot be stopped we worship you and praise you in Jesus name amen something uh, just to mention to and this is more for people online but um Starting next week, we're going to be going live with the worship as well on our website. Not not on Facebook and the other things. Of course, I have a feeling Facebook is declining in number of people that are on there. So who knows what will happen with that. But but on our website, we will have the the full uh, service that you can you can be a part of live. You can watch live. You can watch later. But it will be the worship as well. So many times I refer to the worship. And now you're going to be able to at least uh, have an idea of, of what that is about and what that's like. So I look forward to that. So we will hopefully work on our transitions and <laughs> make everything smooth because we have limited space. You know, at the gifts meeting yesterday, I had somebody ask me, a question that was troubling them and was perplexing. And the Lord has kept that on my heart and took me through some things this morning because I think it is a perplexing thought to most the bride. And perhaps he wants to bring some clarity to that this morning. And, and certainly, certainly the bride in the past, I could say even for myself in the past. But the question was, and the person who did it will know who this is right away, but and it was a great question. They said, I'm having trouble praying for this administration. I'm having trouble praying for the leaders that are in office right now or in control right now. 
I'm having trouble praying, and yet I know the Word of God says pray for your enemies, pray for everyone, right? That's what the Bible says. So what do I do? That was the question in the gifts meeting. That's a great question. Because we find ourselves in that position right now where those who are, I'll say, in control, because I won't say that they're in actual leadership. I won't say that they are in authorized leadership. What they have stolen has placed them in control, and God is allowing it for a time. It is only for a time. So what do we do? See, as the bride historically, I can tell you how I prayed, and and maybe this will resonate with many of you. I used to pray, Lord, help them to govern correctly. Help them to make wise decisions. God, open their eyes to what abortion really is. So because they're in a position to make a difference, open their eyes to what that really is. So they'll make the right decision. And I know this is how much of the bride prays even today because I've seen it over and over and over again on Facebook, on Twitter. Open their eyes, God. See, the thing is, God did tell us to pray for our enemies. Pray for those who are against what God wants. But then we find ourselves in a contradiction of Scripture. Because it also says the opposite of that. And I'm going to take you to that right now because I think it's important that we understand this. And my mentor used to always say, when you find a contradiction in the Word of God, be excited Because if you dig deep enough, you're going to find a jewel that you didn't know was there. So we're going to be excited this morning. Amen? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 43. But understand that all throughout chapter 5, Matthew here, Jesus is talking, you know, notice it's in red letters. Jesus is talking about how we are to act as people, how we are, are to act as Christians. And he goes through many different things before he goes through, you know, anger, lust, uh, divorce, giving oaths, retaliation against enemies. He, and, then, and then where we're going to talk right now, beginning at verse 43, again in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For me, he, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you even, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Now, by the way, the, a better interpretation of that word perfect is complete. That's what the Greek word there means. He wants us to be complete in him as he is complete. Right? He is driving us toward this. And, and you read this, and, and it, for me at least, it really formed my attitude on how to pray for leaders. To pray that God changes their lives for the sake of what they're doing against me, or effectively against God's people. But we, we have a contradiction here. I want you to go back to, and there, there are many places, by the way, in the Word of God that you can pick out, but I'm going to pick out one specifically. Go to Psalm 139. Now, Psalm 139 we know of well. It's the one where David displays and asks, tells God how God knows who he is. That he was intricately made. God knew him before even creation. Right? We know from Psalm 139 that there was a book written about each one of us. Before creation. Before we were ever born. Of what God wanted in our lives. Of the relationship that he wanted with us. Or once with us. And we know that. And Psalm 139 is, is, is such an amazing Amazing chapter in the Psalms. But so many people don't talk about the completion of this chapter. I want you to go down to verse 19. And this is David speaking to God. He's praying to the Lord. This whole Psalm is a conversation between him and the Lord. Or him to the Lord. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And then he ends with, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So you read this after reading Matthew 5, and you've got to scratch your head a little bit. And, and by the way, David alone was one of the most aggressive toward the enemies of God. People, by the way. Right? Not just Satan, but people. He would pray destruction on enemies outside of Israel. He was an amazing leader. He was an amazing warrior. If you, if you get a chance, study David... And his top 30 guys. Oh my goodness. You know, that's like SEAL team times a thousand. You know, they, they just were so skilled in what they do. So you understand the mind frame here. He was... A 
I don't want to use the word angry. He was passionate against those who were against God. Even to the detriment of his own life. Even to the detriment of his own physical body. What mattered to him was that they hated God and he literally prays for their destruction here. There are others. In fact, you know what? I'm going to read another one. Talked about David a little bit. Let's let's read something else. And I'm going to read this entire. Uh, let's see. Come on, fingers stop shaking. You know what? I'm just going to read the whole thing. We have time because this thought isn't going to take long. I don't think I'll be long this morning. Psalm 109, verse 1. Be not silent, O God, of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me. Speak against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Verse 6. David is not one to sit back and just take things, by the way. It says in verse 6, appoint a wicked man against them. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless. And his wife, a widow, may his children wander about and beg, seek food for far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. Take a breath here, David. May his posterity be cut off. I'll go on. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy. And the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse. So let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing. That is his coat. May it soak into his body like water. Like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him. Like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. Now, understand, he's not saying here, 
your enemy's God. Because he's not separating himself from God. He had a relationship with God. Their hearts became one. You don't have to believe me. This is what God said. God said, David's heart is a heart after my heart. When we have a relationship with him, that is the essence of what our heart is to be. It's a heart after God's own heart. And what he does in the process of that is he begins to change our heart to see as he sees. Not just to see for our sake, but for everyone's sake. Not just to see what we understand is his love, absence of his justice. Because oftentimes that's what we think love is. But his complete love, his complete love, which includes and has to include his justice because of his holiness, his purity. Now David said, may this, what we just read, be the reward of my accusers from the Lord. Of those who speak evil against my life. So how do we separate the two? I mean, clearly David went after his enemies. Clearly David, knowing God's will, called on his father, his best friend. The one in whom he had relationship with to vindicate him. So, so how do we how do we reconcile that in our mind? Because see, we're we're supposed to pray for our enemies. So, so you know, if if we have this this contradiction in Scripture, how how do we deal with that? I want you to go to. If I could get there, Hebrews chapter 4. And and the Lord was just giving me much of this just during worship. So I apologize that I didn't have my screens already set because I shake so bad. But Hebrews 4. Think. <laughs> Come on. There it goes. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And you you guys know this verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, which is the body, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So literally, God's word, God comes and he separates between our intentions. He separates between our spirit, our body, and our soul, which is our mind, our intentions. So you have to recognize that there is more than one thing going on with each of us. And, and we know this. Each of us have a spirit, right? We have a physical body, 
but we have a spirit as well. In fact, God has said to us that our spirits learn so much faster than our minds, than our, our souls, effectively. And, and maybe it's because we just let too much junk into our minds. Makes it hard to learn. But the fact of the matter is that those are two separate things. So I want to inject, when you pray for those who are wrongly leading over you that you have no control of, You are not to be in agreement with what the enemy does. You're not to be in agreement with abortion just because those who are in charge now like abortion. And just pray that, that, well, Lord, I, I guess we're just stuck for another four years. I guess we're just stuck for another two years before we can somehow get control back. Baloney. We are to get control back right now because it's not our control in the first place. It is God's control. All he desires us to do is stand in agreement with him. So how do you get around where it says, pray for your enemies? Love those who hate you. It's easy to pray for your enemies because it doesn't say how to pray. Lord, I pray that they die. Okay, but then you got the next part that says love your enemies. So it's not about that. You've got to separate in your mind what's really going on. You've got to separate in your mind their physical body and the spirit that is behind them. The spirits that actually have influence on their lives. You are praying for the destruction of those spirits. If Satan is at work, In Joe Biden's life, even though he's not in control, let let me say this. If Satan is at work in the lives of those who are actually in control behind Joe Biden, then you have to pray against that. Do not be in agreement with it. Don't even be in agreement that they are in control because they're not. We know in the spirit what happened. We know physically, good night, there is so much evidence out there that was brushed aside because of the lies that have been perpetrated in this country by our media. Don't agree with it. By the way, you don't have to agree with it. In fact, you do have to stand in truth. And the truth is, what they represent is against God himself. So when I pray, I do pray for destruction. I pray for the destruction of the enemy that influences their choices. But good night. I want them to know the Lord. I want Joe Biden to come to know the Lord. Really know him. Not signing his name on some Catholic whatever. That, that he, he can now call himself Christian. But really know the Lord. Really know him as Savior. Really know him in relationship. I want that. I pray for that. But that does not stop me from praying that his position be dismantled. 
that the presumed position that he holds be taken away, be destroyed in Jesus' name. And I declare it will be. I declare each one of them will be destroyed. Their positions will be taken away in Jesus' name. They will have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. But I pray for the destruction of their position. I pray that everything be taken away from them. I pray that the very comforts of their life be taken away. Wait a second, Pastor Greg. Man, that's not Christian. It's not? Okay, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's see how Christian that it is. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but but here Paul was dealing with sin in the church. It was not hidden sin. It was known sin. It was sexual of nature, but recognize that 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 is not the only sin that qualifies. It is sin that tries to change the direction of God's plan for others. Sorry, you guys are a little close for me spitting on, but... I'll try and back up whenever I turn this way. You're going to wear your mask while you do this. Yeah. <laughs> no. That will not happen. But what was going on here was sin against God. The church was supporting this sin. Some were even bragging about it. Now, again, this is sexual in nature, but it applies to every sin that is against God. And recognize what Paul says here. You know, let, let's start at verse 3, because there's something I want to point out that I find very interesting. We won't go down the rabbit hole, but I want to point it out. You studied on your own. Verse 3, for though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. Go ahead and go down that rabbit hole. I want to encourage you to because that is just, that's not just a metaphor saying, I'm with you guys. I might not be there in person, but I'm with you. It's not what it's saying. Remember, we are body, soul, and spirit. Paul's spirit was with them, Paul's spirit was there. Paul's spirit was recognizing what was going on. That's why he was responding the way he was. Let's continue on. As if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name, notice he said, I, I pronounced judgment. I pronounced judgment. He is talking within the bride. Recognize that because it's going to be, it's going to be important. I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. 
Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's saying, by you allowing this sin, this known sin, that you even boast about, by allowing this, it shows your heart is not with God. And by the way, your heart isn't even with that young man. Because if you love him, you want the best for him. If you love him, you would fight for him. That's what Paul's doing here. He said, give him over to Satan so that his body would be destroyed. In other words, so he cannot hurt himself anymore. Because it will be taken care of. Satan, why? Because Paul knows Satan wants to kill. Right? He wants to kill. Satan loved it when that man was in the church because he could hurt others through his testimony. But when you turn him over to Satan and Satan has no more use for him, Satan's goal is to kill. To destroy. Not to play with. Only time he plays with us is when there's opportunity for him to use us. Otherwise, he hates us. Do you understand that? He hates the children of God. So Paul is saying, turn him over to Satan so that his body might die. So his spirit might be redeemed. Clearly, he knew the Lord. He was a child of God. He had accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. Now, we won't get into it, but the miraculous thing that happened, you read in 2 Corinthians, is that by doing this very thing, which the church did, they were obedient and they did exactly what Paul said. 2 Corinthians tells us that it worked. It worked and Satan didn't kill him, wasn't able to kill him. But literally, that is what brought him back to the church in good standing, in love, in relationship. Rebuilding that relationship that he had with God. So do you see what Paul did here? He did not stand in agreement with the sin. This is within the church. How much more is the church not to agree with sin outside of the church? That's what this country was made for in the first place. If you don't understand that, go study the life of William Penn. And the reason why he had this vision of this America. His vision was because of what was going on against the church over in Europe. America was to be a place that was one nation under God. By the way, not one nation under whatever God we choose. This nation was dedicated to God at the very beginning. It remains dedicated to God. It is just away from God right now. But not for much longer. Because God 
and his justice will not allow it any longer. I'm not even talking about the prophecies and believe the prophecy, don't believe the prophecy. Man alive, do you, do you understand that hearing from the Lord, prophecy is a gift, absolutely. 1 Corinthians 12, it's a gift from God. But hearing his voice is available to everyone who is his child. Every single person. Now, he may give his words, his specific words, to a prophet or prophets. But you're supposed to have the same relationship with the Lord that they do. So when you hear a word, it resonates with your spirit because your spirit is intertwined with their spirit in unity. Why? Because they're both intertwined with God. Jesus is wrapped around both of them. And Jesus will not tell one person one thing and another person another. So Satan has gotten in there, and that's been where he's been the most effective against the bride, by splitting the bride up into different factions, different doctrines, different whatever. Why do you think he wants to do that? I mean, as, as a member of the bride, can, can you think of why he would want to do that? It's simple. Because he knows exactly what it means when the bride becomes unified. When the bride becomes a single voice. Because the only way they can become a single voice is if it's Jesus' voice. That's the only way. Because otherwise, we put our own voice in there, and that's what gets all the separations that we have right now. But when we are all in relationship with Jesus, Jesus speaks his voice through us. And when the bride becomes unified, guess what? No room for Satan anymore. It's not like then Satan gets to own the people who are not saved. Because then all of a sudden the bride starts fighting for them. We've heard so often about this end time revival coming. That it will overshadow any revival in the past. More people will be saved at that time than ever before. We've, we've all heard this. I, I, I assume we all believe that. We know it's coming. What does that mean? It means that the bride is starting to become unified. And in the process of that, the world sees it. And in the process of, of the Lord's justice, the world sees what the bride has. Not because we have great church buildings. Not because, you know, we're so blessed we drive a Rolls Royce but because we have relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as our best friend. Not as a church, but individually. And, and God is amazing in that way. Do you know that, that I can have, I have the capability within me 
within my spirit to have as close a relationship with Jesus as any of you, as even David, as Paul. Wow. I have that capability. Even if Paul was alive today, I would still have that capability. Why? Because Jesus is God. He can have that relationship with, with all of us and make each one of us feel special. It's, it's extraordinary. No human can do that. No human can do that. A human might be able to pick a few to make them feel special. But not everybody. But Jesus can. And he does. That's how the bride will be unified. Is when Jesus is unified with us individually. He, that's what we call the remnant, by the way. Right? When I refer to the remnant right now, it is those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's extraordinary to me how we will hear prophetic words from halfway across the world that are almost verbatim words to what the Lord says to us. How is that even possible? I have an idea. Because it's the same God. It's the same God. He's not going to speak something different to somebody else. It's when man gets his own interpretation in there that messes things up. Or even worse, when man has a, has a gifting, someone in the bride has a gifting to hear from God, and they use it for their own gain. Maybe it didn't start out that way, but... Maybe it becomes that way like Balaam. Didn't mean Balaam lost his gift. He didn't. He kept his gift. But he was clearly using it for his own gain. See, I think the bride is filled with those kind of people, those kinds of leaders, even right now. That's why you see them popping all over the place like popcorn. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Give me 24 hours and I'll figure it out. You know, Donald Trump is going to be president. He's not going to be president. He's going to have four more years, maybe. No, they're not consecutive. It's in 2020. You know, pretty soon the guy's going to be old enough to where he just needs to play golf. <laughs> His four years are now. In fact, he is my president now. Got news for you. He's your president too. <laughs> That's what the history books are going to show. That's what they're going to show. Believe me or not doesn't matter. Because truth is truth. I don't say that he is my president because I happen to know all the evidence of an election being stolen. I have this briefcase in my office that has all the hidden evidence so I could confidently say, no, I don't have that. What I do have is what the Lord said. Amen. I believe it. Amen. I'm not the only one. See, you see a separation of even his remnant right now in those that spoke because they knew his voice. And by the way, they are being ripped apart. They're being ripped apart 
I mean, I, I, I pray for them because I'm saying the same things, but I don't have the people watching that they do. And those who are bold, thank you for them. Thank you, Father, for them. Give them an even greater boldness to speak what you want spoken. Not anything that would pad themselves or their own pain. Or even their own worry. See, a a leader has a unique situation because we are held accountable in a different way. Those who teach are held accountable in a different way. And so those who led and perhaps jumped on a bandwagon of this is what God said because their spirit agreed with it, then when it came down to it and things looked opposite of what the Lord has said, then they questioned and maybe they didn't hear right. Well, guess what? Maybe they didn't hear at all. Or maybe when they were faced with the opposition, fear got in the way. See, God doesn't not love these people. He adores them. He loves every one of them. You want to pray for someone in leadership to see truth? Pray for them. Pray for them who who have a gifting, who, who perhaps have a relationship, but fear has gotten in. Pray for them because the bride must be unified. Do you know what it'd look like in this nation if we were? (laughs) Very different. It's going to look very different. Because the bride is going to unify. The more the bride unifies, the less room there is in this world for Satan. It will come to a point where he is pushed to where he has no land left. And he will be bound. And I'm not talking about bound during the thousand years of Christ. He will be bound then too. I'm talking about in a foreshadowing of what is happening right now. See, the confusion comes to so many who preach and teach because they don't understand the mystery. They think the mystery is just, well, it's the church. Yeah, and that's true. It is, it is the church. But that's not the mystery. The mystery is what God is doing with his church. The mystery is the relationship that he offers to each one of us. The mystery is the unity that is going to bring this global awakening. The mystery is Revelation 3.9, where the bride will rule. See, this country will be ruled by Jesus Christ before the tribulation, before the thousand-year reign. It will be ruled by him through his bride. Abortion will be abolished. And not just abortion. Anything that would defame the name of the Lord will be abolished. And, and why? It's for the good of everyone. 
You know, I find it interesting how it says in the thousand-year reign that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. What does that mean? It, it means he rules with absolute power, authority, and even down to the smallest thing. And in that, the people are blessed. See, when we have a ruler that loves us and gives everything for us, we're blessed. We're blessed as a people. When Jesus reigns on this earth, we will be blessed as a people. Why? Because, well, now we have to just obey his laws. Yes. Because his laws are perfect. Because his laws are not put in place to make him happy. They're put in place to make you connected with him. Which, by the way, makes him happy. But it makes us happy. That's where he's going with this. It says in Revelation 3.9 that, that the world will literally honor, pay homage, pay honor to the church. Something that's never happened before. In fact, the, the, the church immediately was under persecution and just got worse. Because when they couldn't be persecuted to death and gotten rid of that way, Satan then began to infiltrate so he could change from within. And that's what he's been very good at. But you know what? God always saves a remnant that knows the truth. And the truth sets us free. And we happen to be at a point in history where for the sake of his remnant, his justice will prevail. Because it's time the Father has said that what he has put in motion can't be stopped now. Even if I wanted it to. Even, I, it, even having a relationship with him, if I went to him said, Lord, stop this now. No, let's push it off four more years. Can't. It's already been put into motion for the sake of, of us, for the sake of our love. It's not going to change now. I don't know how long this facade is going to last. I don't know how much more difficult it will become. I think a whole lot. I think it will become a whole lot more difficult. Don't know how. Don't know what it looks like. Lord's shown me a lot, but it's, it's for me. But don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of it. Be encouraged by it. Because Satan cannot do a thing. He's not the one doing this. He is not the one doing this. He is not the one bringing judgment on this country. He is not the one bringing judgment on the bride. In fact, the Bible says God, God brings judgment on his children first. Kind of makes sense in the whole grand scheme of things because you've got the mystery in the foreshadowing where it's judgment against his bride. Bride becomes unified, becomes ready. Jesus comes and takes them. Then there is judgment against the world, which is what we know of as the tribulation, right? 
Kind of makes sense in the grand scheme of things, doesn't it? That what we're going through right now is the purification of the bride. It's not trying to kick the world off the bride's back. It's trying to kick the bride in the rear to get them to understand if they would just stand with Christ like they're supposed to, there would be no enemy. There'd be none. There'd be no foe. Because literally the world would love what they do. It's what the word of God says. So trust him. Trust him in what he's doing. Pray for your leaders to see truth, but on their own time. Not on our time. I pray for the destruction of their position. For the destruction of their influence. For the destruction of the spirit that leads them. Let's come on up. That is such a such an important word. So um, my heart is so filled. I I was only just thinking that um, it was interesting this week that one of the ways that the Lord was encouraging me was to take me into um, the book of Judges, which I thought was so interesting. Like how what in the world? Why is Judges? Judges has always been the book that's kind of the rated R place in the Bible, you know, <laughs> all the graphic stuff. And uh, but He took me to the story of Gideon. And I just thought it was interesting, and I was reminded of that by the Holy Spirit as Greg spoke here toward the end, that we know the story of Gideon, but God, when he called him, first of all, he, he spoke into his life, and, and the angel addressed him and called him mighty hero. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you, if you look at the New Living Translation. I mean, just when he even just called him into his task, before he'd even done anything, the Lord spoke over him who he was. But as we know the process, the Lord said that you will defeat this army as if they are one man. And then, of course, went through the process of refining first Gideon. He had to pay a price because he first had to take down the Asherah pole and, you know, have it cost him something. And he, he took some men in the night and did it. And, and, uh, and he had to be willing to take a stand. But then as we know the story that the army was made smaller... The Lord had to get the unbelievers out of the way and get this, this force in a place where they were fully faith-filled, but faith-filled to a belief that God was the one that was going to deliver them and not their mighty army. Now, Gideon was already called from the smallest clan, the smallest group, and, and that's why he thought, why me? But I love the process of how God got rid of all the people that would be a distraction, that would think that it's in their own strength. And he has set that up right now in where we are, um, in what Greg was just saying is the remnant. He, he will always use a remnant. That's one of the most famous stories of how he, he does it with a small group of people. And even in their fighting, he actually did it. And, you know, uh, one of the um, uh, people that have been filled with the word of the Lord and have prophesied, have uh, released a word that said that there's a spirit of confusion that's been released upon the enemy here now uh, in this nation. And, uh, and I 
I felt that so strongly in my spirit. I, I didn't identify it quite as that, but the Lord has just confirmed it over and over again. There is an enemy turning on themselves right before our very eyes in this in the people that are that have taken the leadership in this nation. And so God is at work right now, already destroying the the um, the enemy army. And if if we just are uh, willing to just believe. Uh, you can, you know, we, we, we kind of become so familiar with these Old Testament stories as the, as the Bible stories, especially if you grew up in the church like I did, that we forget the real life context of what they must have been feeling. To go to battle with fewer, they started out small, got smaller, and then got smaller yet, and, and they were going to face the battle. It, it was, it's interesting to look at um, the paradigm shifts that have to take place uh, unless you're filled with faith. When you're filled with faith and you see through the eyes of the Lord and, and his kingdom, then church numbers, large buildings, uh, history of great ministries, great pedigrees of ministers, all those things become just uh, irrelevant issues. They're not in and of themselves bad, but they have no bearing on what God wants to do when he calls people to do it. So that is really where the remnant is. The Lord is driving he has literally, like Jesus himself did in human form, driving out the money changers in the church and turning over the tables. He's driving the bride out of all their wonderful little ministries and their, their do-goodisms in you know, all of the, the places of church leadership or, or ministry opportunities that validate them so they feel like they're part of the church club. He's just driven them out. And now look at how many people are meeting in unorthodox places, in unorthodox ways. And, and it shouldn't even be called unorthodox. It should just be called the, pure, the purity of coming together. I'm hearing about more Bible studies. There's more prayer calls, prayer vigils, people connecting. Um, but there's also people that don't even know who they are now that they don't sit in their particular seat or on their pew or have their name on the list to sign up for the help of what they don't even know. They don't even have a sense of, of where they are with the Lord because everything was about the external uh, validation of their circumstances and what they belong to and who they interacted with. So those are the people that are being shaken. And, and it says in Hebrews, we, we're seeing it before our eyes, everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which remains will be seen. And that is really where we are. We are seeing what really is important. What really will remain. And, um, and this is uh, it's an exciting time. You know, the judgment of God, and, I, and I've said this before, um, before I pray, I just want to say, I didn't ever have to fear the punishment of my parents. And, and they were Christian people. I realized that they're evil people that, you know, parent from an evil place. But I'm, I had godly parents. And I never had to fear their wrath when I was doing what was right. And so, you know, when you're walking in, in purity, you don't have to fear the judgment of God. In fact, you can bask in his presence and love that he's going to teach you. He is a gentle teacher. I love that God shows me things in my life that I can give to him. Don't give away your authority by living an impure life. That is literally what you're doing. You hand over your authority. When you keep a sin, when you decide, when the Lord brings it to your mind and, and gives you an opportunity to confess it and, and forsake it and be cleansed, when you instead hold on to it and withhold from God what should be laid at his feet, you literally give away your authority. 
And as the church has compromised and become what, what I said downstairs with the ladies this morning, become tolerant secularists by the secularism that's just invaded the church today, they've given away their authority because they cannot stand in court when the enemy is accusing them. They stand guilty every time. And God gives us a way out by confessing our sin, like 1 John 1, 9 says. But when we don't humble ourselves and confess our sin, then we can't resist the devil and he'll flee. Because the first part of that verse, as we know in Peter, is submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. We've got to submit ourselves. So God is refining. He's shaking. He's purifying. But boy, that's the best place. I don't know about you. If you've ever been through a really good detox, a little bit miserable on the way but once you're detoxed you just never feel better and that's what he's doing with the church so this was such a good word such an important word but let's close in prayer father we thank you god we worship you we give you praise for who you are lord i just thank you that you give us clarity in your word you give us wisdom you give us revelation because the holy spirit as jesus promised would guide us into all truth Lord, you do that. You can be found when we seek you. God, when we seek you with all of our heart, you will not forsake us. And I thank you so much for that, God. We want, God, an awakening of purity of your people. God, we want the bride to expand, to grow. We want this great billion-soul harvest to take place, God. We want all that you have planned. And so, Father, I pray that every word spoken today would not fall to the ground, but that you would take it forth, bring it forth to be used and fruitful as you uh, deem according to your will. So God, I thank you and I praise you for what has been spoken today. We give you all the glory, all the praise. Let us go from this place, God, just enriched by the truth of your word, this, this soil of our hearts loosened to where that seed is down deep and it will spring forth a harvest within us as we stand firm in these dark days. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.